You're listening to Words of Encouragement, the preaching ministry from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Winsboro. Glad to have you along with us today. Uh, today you will be hearing the Easter sermon from this past Easter Sunday, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And as we do, I hope that you will continue to listen to Words of Encouragement. Several, several years ago, uh, I don't know that you know that pastors struggle at times on a common theme, on a common day service like Easter, uh, Christmas, uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Uh, when you run through every mother that you can find in the Bible and preach about them, then what do you do? Uh, you don't think about that, but preachers do, and preachers get a little nervous, and they get, uh, they get, they kind of start digging a little harder and a little deeper, trying to find uh, ways to share those special services. And uh, I've had several pastors, new pastors, who've called me and said, "Brother Craig, I'm doing my first funeral today. Uh, how do I do that?" <laughs> and I, all, I always tell them, "Look, uh, focus on Jesus." Focus on the person who passed away. Compare them with Christ. You'll do fine. Uh, now, obviously, that is easy if that person is a believer. Uh, that's a whole lot easier thing to do uh, when you have that service, uh, a funeral service. But as I was looking for different ways to share in a funeral service, I found a very meaningful way to do that. Uh, each person has a birth day, a birth date, and every one of us, if you will, for lack of a better term, has a death date. Uh, that's just what it is. It's when we leave this place, when we leave this earth. And when you walk into a cemetery, you look on those tombstones and you see both of the dates. And in between is a dash. The dash is what represents the most important part of that person. It represents their life. It represents what they did between their birth and their death. And it's just represented by a little dash. And yet it's the most important part of the, the, it's the most important part of who they are. Today, as we look at the life of Christ, many of us know what He did while He was on earth. You can read it in the Scriptures. You can find how He lived a perfect life, how He uh, healed people, uh, how Jesus was remembered for what took place in His life, but more so in His death. So, if you will, His death date to us has more meaning than his life as he lived it. There were many people that tried to live good lives. Ah, but Jesus is still different than many people. And many people have tried to talk away and dismiss his life and say, well, he was just another prophet. He was just another person. He was just another, another person who found a little fame back in that day. And well, you know, there's not much more to him than that. Oh, but there was much more to this Jesus than that because of what happened on the cross. What happened on the cross, what happened at the tomb changed this world forever. Forever. Because of the resurrection, resurrection of Jesus, all of us can encounter Him. And when we do, our lives can be changed forever. 
just like Natalie's. Just like all of us who have accepted Christ. Our lives have been changed. If you are able and you're willing to stand for the reading of the Scripture, I want to ask that you do. Coming from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, looking at verse 6, we find these words. It says, He is not here, for He has risen, just as He said. Come see the place where He was lying. May the Word of God be emblazoned upon our hearts. May it ring true with our spirits today. You may be seated. I want to approach this passage as if you are looking at it for the very first time. Maybe, I mean, you just, I want you to take everything you know or think you know about Jesus and I want you to think, okay, look, I'm looking at this passage for the very first time in my life. Now, at the top of mine, of, my, of, the, of this chapter, it says Jesus is risen. Well, okay. And as I look at this passage, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. If I'm just looking at this, I, I, I've got some questions. I've got some questions. If, uh, if we know nothing else, as we look at this passage, it appears someone has died. These two ladies, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they come to look at the grave. Well, someone has died. Someone has been placed in a tomb. And we find these two ladies making their way to visit this tomb, to visit the grave. So let's think about this. These ladies are evidently attached to one who has died. I don't know about you. I don't normally find myself walking in cemeteries, visiting graves of people I don't know. Although... Sometimes that does happen, doesn't it? You get curious and you wander around a cemetery. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're, maybe you're thinking that's really weird. Hey, that's okay. Some of us actually kind of think, oh, wow. And the first church that, I was, that God allowed me to serve had its own cemetery attached. Uh, just across the road, Wallace Cemetery. And so I walked over there and there in that cemetery were... Confederate soldiers who had been buried in that cemetery. I mean, this was an old cemetery. And I thought, this is fascinating to look and think about who, who were these people. But if you do that, if you, uh, you, you don't really know who they are. But evidently, these ladies knew who they were visiting. They were going to the grave of someone they knew. Well, I think we can safely conclude that at this point, these ladies are not exactly happy, not exactly excited. For when you go and you visit the tomb of someone you know, someone you love dearly, it's hard. Okay, it's hard. Once I went back, I visited the grave of my grandmother Beeman. Once I went back, I visited my grandmother and... Uh, Grandfather uh, Hill's site of burial, grave. As I stood there and looked, 
I began to think about who they were. I began to think about them, and I began to think about how much they meant to me, and, I, and it's tough. So I thought about this as these ladies go to the grave. They're making their way there. They're not exactly excited because of their loss. And so with sadness, they approach the tomb, and, but they see something. The stone has been rolled away. An earthquake has occurred, and when that happened, the stone was rolled away, according to Scripture, by this angel who is still there. Emotionally, I don't think these ladies were ready to accept all of this. Can you imagine what that was like? I mean, now, they're looking, they're going to the grave of their loved one, the one they care about, and somebody has disturbed the grave. Now, some of you are, are, you might be, and I don't want to use the word persnickety, but some of you might be so offended, maybe that's a better word, if you were to go to the grave of your loved one and you had placed something there and it was missing, boy, that just gets you. I bought that and put that. They should, I can't believe. I mean, you can, I can imagine how that must feel. Put a little light there. I mean, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole industry <laughs> that I think markets to those of us who would like to mark the grave with more than just a tombstone. And so uh, to go and find anything disturbed or missing or different, it's dis- it is very disturbing. And emotionally, these ladies, I don't think, are able to accept this as they walk up to this grave. Also, emotionally, the guards were, that were there guarding the tomb couldn't handle this either. Look at verse 4. The guards shook for fear of him, this angel that came, and became like dead men. Interesting. The men fainted. Just going to leave that right there, okay? Um, now, now, these guards are there. Now, what, now, guards, why are there guards there? Why are there guards at a tomb? What is this about? Look at verse 5. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Well, now, wait a minute. What, what, what about these guards? What about these guards? These guards have been placed there because there is a notion among some that the disciples just might get a clue and decide that they're going to make it look like Jesus rose from the dead. So they're going to go in and get the body. So let's place some guards there so that does not happen. All right? Let's make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, God kind of had a little bit something of something to say about that, and He did it His way, and He sent this angel. And so these guards are there, and they're, they, they become as dead men. Now, however you want to define that, I say fainted. I mean, maybe they were awake. (laughs) Maybe they were awake, just kind of staring, thinking, oh, I don't know. But the Bible says that they became as dead men. But verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. Here's his name. Here is the one Whose, who, whose grave they are visiting. It's Jesus. Okay, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. Now, uh, now uh, in natural causes, that'd be different. I mean, there would be guards, would there? And wait a minute, crucifixion? Oops. Now, we can probably, I think we can gather. Now, remember, we're just looking at this passage. We know nothing about this Jesus. We know nothing about these ladies. We see them visiting this tomb. But now we find out that Jesus has been crucified. It, today, modern terms, he was, he was uh, uh, put to death. He received the death penalty. He was either injected 
Something happened, they, they killed him. Well, well, he must have done something wrong then. He would, he would lead us to believe he must have done something wrong in order to be crucified. He must have done something terribly wrong to be crucified. Well, let's look at what Jesus did. According to the scripture, he raised a man from the dead. He made the blind to see, the lame to walk. He cured the sick. That doesn't really sound all that bad. I mean, I think I'd be pretty excited about someone who could do that, if I, especially if I was looking, as these Jews were, for a Messiah, the one sent from God. They're looking for him. And here he is, doing all these miracles. Oh, my goodness, how exciting is this, this Jesus. But what did he do that was so horrible? He taught about being part of the kingdom of God. Well, there was this one time that it became pretty evident When he was on trial, really that trial should not have taken place because of the timing of it, but they did it anyway. He did not deny that he was the Son of God. He did not deny. He said something like, you say that I am. You have said it. Whoa. When he appeared before Pilate, that's what he said. He said, well, he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Christ, the one who has been sent? Jesus said, you say That's what you say. He doesn't deny it. But that is definitely enough for the Jews who were still looking for the one sent from God to arrive and set up God's kingdom on earth. That was enough for them. They were already pushing against him. They didn't believe he was the one sent from God. They were the ones who were stirring things up and making it, trying to make it clear to Pilate, the Roman uh, ruler there in charge of the area, that they wanted him to be crucified. This Jesus preached about forgiveness of sins. He even forgave people of their sins. Uh Uh-oh, that's not what you do. You can't do that. Only God can forgive sin. Well, (laughs) go figure. This is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. This is God. He can forgive sins. But oh, the, 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 the church people back then. Oh my, no, no, no. Only God can do that. What is this? What is this about? But he did. He forgave people of their sins. He is the Son of God. The divine nature of God is the same nature that is in Jesus. This is who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. Relating with people on a day-to-day basis back then. The Son of God. My first question to you is, do you know about this Jesus? Do you know about this Jesus? Have you heard about Him? Have you heard about what He's done? We just talked about some of what He's done. You find that all through Scripture. All through the New Testament. All through the Gospels. What Jesus has done. But He is the Jesus who rose from the dead. He is the Jesus who rose from the dead. Look at verse 6. He is not here, the angel says to these ladies, for he has risen just as he said. Oh, he has said that before. Come see the place where he was lying. Not only had Jesus done wonderful acts and amazing acts and proved himself different from all others on the earth, he rose from the dead. Now that, look, that just kind of puts the seal on it. That, kind of, that, is the, that is the mark that says this man is the Son of God. No one else came back to life. You look at all the other religions in our world. Find one who came back. Find one who claimed 
to be God. This claiming to be the long-awaited Savior sent from God just went too far with many of the people. But they had dealt with people like this before. They had had others who came along and said, Oh, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one. And they you know, tried to get a following among them. And they would always, the people would always push them down and say, Aha, no you're not. And they would prove them wrong. But they had very uh, big difficulty trying to prove that Jesus was not the Son of God. This one detail, this one piece of information is very telling. You might be able to try and explain away a lot of what Jesus did while he was alive on this earth. But this rising from the dead, this puts him in a totally different category than everyone else on the face of the planet. He is different. And yet he is like us. Look at verse 7. The angel says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Here it is. What is an angel? An angel is a messenger sent from God. An angel is to convey that which God wants conveyed. And so what does this angel say? He says, he has risen. You go tell the disciples. Let them know. For he is going, behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. I, the messenger, I am an angel. I have been sent to tell you this and I'm doing my duty. I'm going to carry out what God has told me to carry out. I'm going to make sure that the message is clear. Go tell the disciples about Jesus. He has risen from the dead. He is alive. Even better news, he'll see you in Galilee. Go, go, ladies, run. Look at verse 8. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. Notice there's an emotional change that has occurred in these ladies. They come to the grave with sadness. They come thinking, oh, we will go, we will visit. Sad times. We had hope in this man. Oh, but now. Now they're filled with fear, but with joy. They're also filled, the Bible says, with great joy. Their sadness is gone. The one whom they loved was alive again. In, his, in this coming back to life, Jesus proves who he said he was. All that he did during his life on earth, before his death, was indescribably amazing. But in his death, through his death, Jesus provided the forgiveness of sins for all who will trust in him. He provided it. It was that, it's the mystery of the cross. It's what happened as he it was on that cross, as he died, as, the, as your sins as my, and my sins were taken in his body, the Bible tells us. As he took the punishment that we deserve. Salvation was made possible for all of us. You see, sin, anything we do wrong, places a wall between us and God. That's what it does. There are not enough good things we can do to overcome the punishment that we deserve for all the bad things that we have done. There's not enough good we can do. I happened to be able to listen to Charles Stanley this morning and he was talking about this. He said... You know, he said, some people think, well, if I just do enough good, 
somehow the balance will be in my favor and I'll have done enough good. How do you know how much good is enough? Well, preacher, I'm just going to try. Why don't you be assured that you know? Why, why can't you trust in Jesus and know through His Word, what His Word tells us, you can know that you have eternal life. Let's pretend a person steals your car. Now, those of you with a new car, this may ring a little truer to you than others. Uh, Once you've had a vehicle a while, you may wish someone would steal your car. But let's pretend someone steals your car. The police find your car, the rims are missing, and the stereo is missing. Now, that's, that's pretty typical. They cannot track those down. But they do track down the thief. Let's say the thief is sorry for what he has done. Let's say that thief is truly sorry for what he has done, and he comes to you weeping, asking, please forgive me, please. He's truly weeping. He is truly sorry. Your spirit, because you are a believer, your spirit hears that pain, hears that repentance in his voice, and you forgive him. You're you're feeling particularly generous that day, and you forgive him. Does he go free? Does he get to go free? Does he, does, he just, does he just go, oh, go into... Are you going to turn around and see him in Big John's getting a burger the next day? No. He committed a crime and he must pay for stealing your car. He still has to receive punishment for what he has done. Even though you have forgiven him, he still has to be punished because what he did was wrong. Okay, now this is where we are. If we have sinned against God, we have done something wrong. We deserve to be punished. Oh, but brother, pastor, brother, preacher, Craig, look, wait a minute. The Bible tells us that God forgives us. He does. But we deserve to be punished. The punishment has got to still happen. Someone, something needs to happen. We must, the punishment has to be Meet it out. It has to be given. It has to be declared. It has to happen. So how in the world is that going to happen? God tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or his acceptance of us. His acceptance of us. His glory. We don't, we, we can't, oh, there's nothing we can do to be able to stand in his presence. We can't be good enough. We can't, we, we can't be good enough or smart enough to do that. None of us are acceptable to be in heaven with Him because of all the things that we have done that are wrong. That's just the way it is. Well, guess what? We can ask God to forgive us, and He will. But again, what about our punishment? I mean, we deserve to be punished. Well, Brother Craig, why can't we just... Can't you just throw that out? Can't that just be thrown out? Well, then there's no justice. There's no justice. There's God. Now look, if I have sinned against God, I deserve to be punished. There must be a punishment that takes place. Well, Brother Craig, can't we just throw that out? Why can't, he forgave us. Why can't? It's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Our God is a just God. He demands that there be a punishment. Well, 
Brother Craig, I don't want to be punished. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to. The wages of sin is death. That's what we earn from sin. We deserve to die for all the wrong things we have done. We deserve to spend eternity, the life after this one, in a place of everlasting punishment that the Bible calls hell. It's just the place that none of us really want to go. But it's there. But God loves us so much that He sent Jesus to die in our place. Jesus to take the punishment for us. He died for us. And He took the punishment that you and I deserve. So that punishment is being done. That It is happening. But it's happening to Jesus. That's who it's happening to. Your sin, my sin, all the horrible thoughts we've had about others, all the things we've done, all those pencils and our pens we've stolen from the bank. I mean, just, you know, or from our insurance agent. Whatever we've done, all those things count up against the God. They're sins against God. And God looks and says, oh. But he also looks and says, but I have a solution. I want you with me, but I, have to prov- I want to provide for you the way to get to me, and I'm going to do it through my son's death on the cross. And through his death, as he takes the punishment for you, for you, for you, for me, as he takes our sins and places them on his own son, he makes it possible for us to be forgiven, for us to be in heaven forever. He does that for us. Jesus takes our punishment for us. If we place our trust in Jesus and what He has done for us, then we will not go to a place of eternal punishment. No. We will go to where God is. In heaven. A place of eternal joy. A place where God is. The dash representing the life of a person is important, but in the case of Christ... The date of death in which he accomplished what we could never accomplish in our lives. That's important. He provided through his death the passageway, the way to heaven. He did that for us. Question for you this morning is, have you trusted in what Jesus did for you to go to heaven? Have you trusted in him? Do you believe that he died with your sins on that cross on that day so long ago? Do you believe that He took the punishment that you and I deserve? Are you willing to turn away from your sin? To repent. That's what the the Bible word is, repent. And actually, you hear the word often out in uh, in our media sometimes. It's to turn away, turn around, go the other direction. To turn away from our sin. To say, wait a minute, I want this salvation. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want Jesus in charge of my life. Maybe today you're here and you're thinking, now, Brother Craig, I've heard this over and over, but for some reason today, maybe, not because of anything you said, Brother Craig, you're just a man, but because I have sensed it in my spirit, in my heart, in my soul, that I need this Jesus. Maybe today is the day you give your heart to Him. Maybe today is your day of salvation from that place that the Bible calls hell, that eternal place of punishment. It's a real place. I know that people say, oh, no, it's not. It's just, it's, there's, it doesn't exist. I know they say that. 
my, my answer to that is, are you willing to risk that it doesn't? Are you willing to just risk that and say, well, I'm going to heaven, everybody goes to heaven. Maybe you believe in heaven. And everybody goes there. You have a choice. And God holds out this gift of salvation and He says, will you take it? It's here for you. Thank you for listening to Words of Encouragement today. I hope that in some way you were transported back in time to that special day when those ladies made their way to the tomb and realized that Jesus had risen from the dead. I hope that that is something you believe. Please check out the evidence. Decide for yourself. Remember, you matter to God and to us at the First Baptist Church of Winsboro.